The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Support for this show comes from John Maxwell Taylor's Gravida award-winning performance on the life of Swiss psychiatrist Carl Gustav Jung, now available in a stunning new 3D audio set. To learn more, please visit www.johnmaxwelltaylor.com. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. My guest today is Christine Toomey. Christine is an award-winning journalist and author who covered foreign affairs for the Sunday Times for more than 20 years. Previously based as a correspondent in Mexico City, Paris, Berlin, and now London, she has reported from over 60 countries. Her journalism has been syndicated globally, and she's twice won Amnesty International's Magazine Story of the Year Award. Her new book, In Search of Buddha's Daughter, A Modern Journey Down Ancient Roads, is reviewed by Sam Mo in the current issue, March-April issue, of Spirituality and Health magazine. Christine Toomey, welcome to Essential Conversations. Before we get into your new book, uh, give us some of your a sense of your spiritual autobiography. You know, where, how were you raised religiously? Where do you find yourself now? Well, I was uh, I was born in uh, Wales here here in the UK, and uh, I was raised um, Anglican. Um, I was confirmed, um, occasional churchgoer. I I, I went you know, Christmas and. Um, on, on certain occasions, but I wouldn't I wouldn't have described myself as a, as a particularly uh, religious person or a, a regular churchgoer. Um, but I was always interested. I you know I would would say I, you know I had spiritual leanings and and you know had a, had a, a some uh, meditation practice before I started this book. I, I was a regular um, yoga practitioner and um, I. Yeah, I, I, have, I would say, describe myself as very open-minded, but not particularly, uh, not not a particularly religious religious person. And the book is about Buddhist nuns, but do you consider yourself a Buddhist? Well, I certainly knew almost nothing about Buddhism before I started this book, which might sound uh, rather strange. But the way I came to the book was 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 kind of an unusual way, and and perhaps it's easier if I describe that to you, and and you know, kind of get to that that question. Um, a little bit further down the line, because I guess I would now say that it's, you know, I have huge respect for Buddhist teachings and I do attend teachings uh, when I can, but it, it's one, uh, it's part of what informs my, my worldview, if you like. I'm, I'm perhaps, I'm, I'm not a person um, that's given to, to labels and particularly as a writer and as a journalist, perhaps that's something we're kind of, um, you know, trained to, to, to avoid in some ways. But um, the, the way I came to the book, as I say, was, was, was slightly unusual in that I was um, uh, on an assignment uh, in uh, Dharamsala in India uh, to write about the transfer of power from the Dalai Lama to a transfer of tam- temporal power to ele- the elected prime minister, uh, Dr. Lubsang Sange. Um, and it was a long feature that appeared in the uh, Financial Times magazine, in fact. Uh, uh, and it was really during the course of researching that um, article. My, my style of journalism is always to speak to as many people as I can in, in, in different situations to try and you know get the context. And um, I started meeting Buddhist nuns who'd come out of Tibet um, with the most extraordinary stories 
um, they they stories of, of, of great hardship. I mean, some had been imprisoned and, and tortured in Chinese jails, and and uh, they uh, escaped over the Himalayas and. Uh, were living then in, in Dharamsala in, in quite difficult circumstances. And I, I because my background as a journalist has been, uh, a lot of it's been covering human rights issues in many different places like uh, Bosnia, Kosovo, Colombia. I, I worked in Latin America for many years. And it, it was, it was I, I sort of came at it initially through, um, through, through almost as an interest in human rights, you know, what these women had gone through, their extraordinary experiences. And it was that was that was really what drew me to, drew this drew me to the subject because I was going to go back and write about their lives, but then when I started investigating the lives of Buddhist nuns in other parts of the world, I just realised that there was this extraordinary world of female wisdom and strength and courage and just extraordinary stories, extraordinary experiences, and so I was drawn into it through um, through, through 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 sort of a journalist journalistic perspective, if you like, um, initially, not because I was coming to it as a, as a, as a, as a, as a Buddhist practitioner. Um, so, yeah, it, it kind of came about in, a, in an unexpected way. So it was really the experiences of these women that drew you into this rather than the religion itself. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really interesting. So, but so, so our readers know, I mean, you've traveled over 60,000 miles in doing research for this book, talking to Buddhist nuns from, I mean, the Himalayan villages to San Francisco. Yes. So, do you did you find a common thread among these women? Well, I would say the common thread would be that they're extremely um, determined, very strong, um, courageous women who, who who've chosen a path, certainly in the West, that's very. Um, Unusual, obviously less so so in the east, but even in the, the eastern countries that uh, that I write about in Nepal and India, um, Japan, Burma, you know the, these are not uh, you know they're, they're stepping outside um, the, the usual experience of, of young women, and a lot of these are young women that I'm talking to. Um, so they they're very feisty characters, um, and some of them have come to some of them have come to the sort of monastic path through um, a certain experience in their lives, either perhaps a, a, a loss or, or, or a sudden change in their circumstances that has really made them um, stop and stand back and reflect on their lives. And so I think there is, there is some uh, common thread in some of their life experiences, but in fact, they really come from a huge diversity of backgrounds. Uh, I mean, in the, in the East, for instance, one was a had been a counter-terrorist policewoman, one was a princess, one was, um, uh, in Japan, for instance, one had been a, a very successful novelist. She'd written erotic fiction and when, when she was in younger. Uh, she's still continuing to write. She's in her 90s now. She's a very, she's sort of a national institution in Japan. She's very, very well known. Um, and in Burma, you know, a lot of uh, young women who are coming um, from from sort of rural areas. So, so they come from very, very diverse backgrounds. But in terms of the the characteristics, I, you know, I, they are very determined, um, reflective, strong women. And I think that's what really drew me to want to write about their stories because I think it's very, you know, I found them very inspiring, and I felt that they would be, um, I hope, very inspiring for for other for other people to read about too. So just a process question. How did you decide whom to interview? 
Well, the, the, the book is structured uh, because I knew, um, as, I, as I admit, I knew very little about Buddhism um, before I began this book. And so I, I had to sort of explain it to myself in a way. And I, so I structured the I wanted to understand how Buddhism had changed in, in the paths it had taken from east to west. And so I structured my book in. Um, in the way that half the, the first half of the book is in the east and the second half is in the west, and I follow um, some of the routes that Buddhism has taken as it's um, travelled from east to west. So, so that so it kind of gave me the structure of of, of the way I wanted to write the book, and then within that structure, I there, there were certain you know I, I I did a lot of research and I, I there were certain communities that I wanted to go to. I wanted to. Um, explain certain traditions. I concentrated, for instance, on three traditions, the Tibetan um, Himalayan um, Buddhist tradition and the uh, Theravada tradition and also the Zen um, tradition. So so within those uh, three traditions, I wanted to choose communities where um, women were, uh, you know, were, were living um, very different lives and, and, and uh, for instance, in um, Nepal, the book starts out with a community of, of um, young um, Tibetan Buddhist nuns in Nepal who practice Kung Fu every day. So, that, so you know, these were women doing <laughs> extraordinary things, things that unexpected that you just really wouldn't wouldn't imagine. And I, 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 because they, you know, captured my interest. I, you know, I knew that was a community I wanted to go to. Once I got there, you know, it was a question then of of, of um, determining who, you know, who who I could speak to, who who would be willing to, to speak to me. Um, and in in some other communities, um, the the uh, the Zen Buddhist nun I mentioned in Japan, I knew before I went there that I really would like to to interview her. So that was more a process of, um, you know, several months of of uh, emails and letters um, going back and forth to 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 arrange. Um, you know, to be able to visit. And, and some of these women, they're not, these are not women who, who seek uh, publicity. Uh, you know, in, in some cases, it was quite difficult to to, um, to to find a time when they were able to, to meet with me because a lot of them are traveling and teaching or they're going into, into retreats. So logistically, it was quite, um, it, it was quite difficult. But in terms of um, the people I speak, I spoke to, in some ways, it, it sort of grew organically, you know, in some communities, I would speak to to a particular person who would recommend I would speak to somebody else, you know, in the next uh, place I was going on to. So, um, yeah, and, and, and that's that's really the way it evolved. So they they passed you around from community to community. Well, only in only in a I'm, few I'm, cases. Yeah, I understand. I'm <laughs> no, being a little no, facetious. I mean, not, not really, because you know, in fact. <laughs> Um, so it, it, the, the, the way the book is, is written, in, in some cases, I, I you know, it's, it's not, uh, uh, I, you know, I had to do certain aspects of the trip in, in, um, in, in a different order, but just purely for logistical, logistical re reasons, because um, the women I wanted to speak to were in, in different retreats. So uh, um, I, I guess what I'm saying is that once you, it, it's like opening a door. Once I opened that door, I started seeing all these amazing Path leading in different directions, and it was a question of me choosing. Okay, well, I'm going to follow this one, and I, you know, I'd like to speak to this person, but are they going to be there? You know, are they going to be happy to speak to me? And and you know, sure. it, it's. Um, I didn't start out with a list, you know, a wish list, and, and sort of tick them off as I went down. It was, it was okay. a little bit more organic than that. Yeah. You mentioned that the change of Buddhism from the east to the west. I mean, that could be a, a whole book in and of itself. But in a sentence yeah. or two, I mean, can you give us a, a sense of what you? think that changes? Well, I, I think, 
the the um, communities I visited um, in the West. I mean, uh, the, those I visited in, in the United States and and here in Europe, in in the UK and in the south of France, for instance, um, they are um, adapting that a lot of the traditions that that have been um, um, fundamental to, to the way that Buddhism has has. Uh, uh, has, has been followed in, in Eastern countries. They, they are, I mean, for instance, the um, Sarasti Abbey in Washington State with um, um, Venerable Thubten Chodron, she's she's translating um, you know, some of the uh, the ancient uh, Tibetan texts into English. So it's it's more it's much easier f- uh, for um, for, the, for the nuns there and those who who go to visit to follow and understand more clearly what's happening. Um, you know what the practices are, what the sutras are, what the devotions are, um, and in uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's um, Zen community in the south of France, for instance, Plum Village, uh, they, there's, there's quite an emphasis on um, uh, making sure that the uh, nuns have uh, an equal standing with the with the monks, which in 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 the east is not always the case. Um, not always it's often not the case that nuns have traditionally had a um, had, have not had the same access to higher teachings, for instance, and uh, uh, you know the, their communities have have, have 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 sort of had far um, far less support. So I think as it's come into the West um, in in Thich Nhat Hanh's community, for instance, the the nuns there are very very dynamic. They're very um, uh, you know they have completely equal standing. They they give teachings. They um, they work in the community in in the same way. And I think that's that. I think it couldn't be any other way, really. I think in in the West that would be something that, um, as as one um, uh, one of the, the Zen nuns I interviewed at Thich Nhat Hanh's community, who had been a, a political aide in Washington, and she said, you know, she there was no way could she have, have joined the community had it not been like that. You know, she she grew up as she described herself as an urban urgent to me, <laughs> which I thought was a lovely expression, and I could quite see how you know how how. The fact that the community was 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 uh, you know it's very egalitarian sort of principles was very important, um, and I think for, for for all the women you know that's been it has been a struggle in in many cases for in some of the traditions particularly in Tibetan um, Buddhism and uh, Theravada traditions. Um, so some of the communities are are still struggling to um, you know and there's been some resistance. For instance, the community in uh, in, in California, um, where um, Ayatasa Loka in the Theravada tr- tradition has been um, fully ordaining women, uh, which in the East is, is not um, accepted by in many communities, but uh, she's forging ahead and is, is, is getting great support now. And so I think it's really, um, it's, it's adapting uh, not the fundamental teachings, uh, but the but the ways that um, that the communities are living and practicing uh, are, are, are 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 different, and I think uh, much more adapted to, to 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 our way of life in the West. So, in the cause we only have a few minutes left, but there was this wonderful line in the book that maybe speaks to what you're saying, or maybe actually goes beyond it. So I'm, I'm asking, but mm-hmm. you write. In this rapidly changing age, which is forcing many of us to question what is meaningful, the path these women have chosen is not just different, but somehow defiant. So uh, what's defiant? How how do you understand this defiance? 
Well, because I think a lot of uh, women, you know, there's a lot of pressures on 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 women today, all, all over the world, um, uh, you know, to kind of to, to conform in some ways and to live a life that's that you know that's somehow expected. And, you know, young women particularly have have so many pressures to to live a certain way, and 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 these women are standing back from those expectations, are looking, are asking different questions about life. They're living life in a different way there and, and and it's i find it truly um inspiring because it's uh it's it's yeah it's 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 not an easy life by any means and i think um i think to be able to 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 listen to these women's stories who, who are taking the time to to stand back and ask dis- different questions about life i think it helps us all to to be able to reflect on our lives in a different way uh, that's certainly what it did with me um, in in the two years I spent traveling and writing this book, and I hope it might do the same for those who read it. So while you were you know doing the, during this two year period, if I understand it right, your parents passed away. Both my parents no, both my parents died shortly before I set off on the travels. In the year that I spent uh, planning and setting up the interviews and planning all the traveling. Uh, both my parents passed away within just a few months of each other. My, my mother actually just a, a few months before I, I started traveling. So that was a, a huge shock. And you, uh, you said, you said I don't, don't know if this was an interview I read or listened to, but you said that somehow this changed the way you approached the book. And I'm just wondering if you knew what that way was. How did it you change know, your approach? I, I think it was, it's what I was saying in the beginning about perhaps approaching this initially as, as from a very much a journalistic point of view, um, whereas following the, the death of both of my parents I was I was in a much more vulnerable place I, and I, I think I was asking questions perhaps in a different way I was I, you know I really needed to, to, to stop and stand back and um, and and reflect and, and I think being able to to listen to the way that these women um, do that in life um, was was for me very healing and I think it, it it's made this you know the book the ultimately the book is a, is a more personal book than it perhaps otherwise would have been. Do you know, and this may be just impossible to answer, but I'm wondering if you could uh, bring the interview to a close, in a sense, with something you heard from one of these women that really promoted that healing that others might hear and say, oh, yeah, that really is a help. I think I I asked um, some of the women I I met, you know, if if they went back to lay life, not that that they, they were considering, if they went back to lay life, what would be the one lesson that they would most take with them? And more than one said would be to constantly let go. And I think you can interpret that in many, many different ways. But I think in in terms of loss and grief, it's it's to let go of of it's almost to let go of fear, because I think what I also realized in a, in a, a, a retreat I did in a Zen training temple there where you. You you sit and, and in silent meditation for long periods, and you realise that actually, what is going on in your mind is it, a lot of it is is fear, a fear of 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 the emotions that that come with loss and grief. Um, and I think to be able to just see um, and 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 sit with these difficult feelings, and then just let them go, is a very powerful practice. And it, it is a practice. It is something that that we can all develop. And I think it's something that I, um, it was a, a lesson that was enormously valuable to me. And I hope um, perhaps might, um, might, might, might also be, be uh, the same for anyone who reads the book. I hope so. And who listens to the interview. This was a great way to bring this to a close. Christine, thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you.
My guest today was Christine Toomey. She's author of In Search of Buddha's Daughter, A Modern Journey Down Ancient Roads. You can learn more about Christine's work at christinetoomey.com. So, Christine, again, thanks so much for being with us on Essential Conversations. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Support for this week's edition of Essential Conversations is provided by John Maxwell Taylor's Gravida award-winning performance on the life of Swiss psychiatrist Carl Gustav Jung. The performance is entitled Forever Jung, now available in a deluxe three-CD audio set. To learn more, please visit johnmaxwelltaylor.com. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Visit spiritualityhealth.com and subscribe to the magazine in either print or digital formats and download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker and our program coordinator is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Thank you.